Hello and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Hello. Very very good. I, I have to just tell tell you all out there, we just have been treated to the most fantastic rendition of, of Jake Humphreys, uh, courtesy of Milo, uh, who was actually educating me as to why this guy is full of bollocks. Uh, and, and I don't know why I'm sharing this with you other than it's put me in a really, really good mood, despite the fact that a 4-1 uh, win over Leeds United at Elland Road should put you in a good mood anyway. But it's it's really cheered me up. It's quite something to hear that, that, that reading voice just explain to you through someone else's own words why they are a wanker. Anyway, sorry for that cutaway, folks. It had to be done. Uh, we were in a battle for the Europa Conference League, I suppose. Leeds, I suppose, are in a battle for their Premiership survival. None of that panned out for anyone, but uh, we did win four goals by four goals to one. I mean, I've been left wondering if we're at a Willem Corston, Tim Sherwood era, Jerry Francis are all Fox, or even Terry Neal, Neil McNabb. But yeah, we're going to touch on all of that a little later as we try and get a grip on exactly what is going on at Tottenham Hotspur. Um, And we'll also be looking back at this week's Spurs news in the week that was. So, well, anyway, after dragging us off course, chaps, shall we get to the the game at hand, the final game of this, uh, you know, (laughs) forgettable season? (laughs) Seems like a good place to start. (laughs) Okay. Uh, help us. Why, why don't Why don't you ask this question? Because uh, you know. All right then. So let's take these two together. So what did you think of the team selection? Actually, we'll take the three together. What did you think of the team selection? Any tactical changes you noticed, and how did we play? Right. So, well, team lineup was exactly the same as it was last week. Bar Porro in for Dan Juma in midfield. Um, I, I, the more I thought about it, actually, I, I thought, well, you know, we we played well in the first half last week, and I think if they could fo- they could focus on that, then we'd be all right. I then looked at the lead side and noticed that they were playing effectively nine defensive players and attacking midfielder and a striker, and I thought we really should be okay against against this lot, no matter what happened at the back end of, of last week. So, um, selection wise, it was good. It's interesting to see some. Of the young players on the bench I think we knew that um, Romero was going to be out again we knew that Dyer was going to be out again we knew that Hoiberg was a doubt I think Perisic was, was left out completely as well I don't know whether they heard Mason, any more about Mason that. confirmed that he, he, he was injured after the game so he said he, him and Hoiberg were injured yeah, so so hence Iago Santiago, who was the um, who was the spare player last week, because he got off the team mm. coach for the Brentford game, wasn't on the bench, and George Abbott came back on the bench, having appeared a few months earlier. Yeah, I I think we were all in agreement that it seemed like Ryan was certainly going to make sure we didn't concede early, which is probably quite a wise move uh, given our season. But uh, <laughs> we saw how that panned out; it's completely unnecessary, wasn't it? Actually. Um, yeah, I mean, what can you say? I, I think, again, it showed that Ryan Mason is actually trying to do some, you know, progressive things for the club, despite the, the you know, the increasing injury list that he's been dealing with in his time. And uh, it was nice to see the bench with a couple of youngsters. It really was, you know, it was a good thing. And I don't know, I was fairly ambivalent about the selection, to be honest, uh, you know. And the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, well, I, I'll, I'll throw the question back to you now, Milo. Um, well, let's come back to Abbott and uh, and Craig later on because we've got a question about them and it would be, be good to talk a bit more about them there. Um, yeah, I mean, Gareth's right. You know, team section was broadly the same. Uh, you know, we're defending in five three two. I thought with um, Poro dropping into right back when we were defending and uh, Sun a little. You know, in, in midfield with um, Kane and Decky up top. Um, but then, yeah, into the usual four two three one or say the usual same as we did last week when we were attacking. I thought I thought it went pretty well. I was wondering in the first half whether we were pacing ourselves. Um, 
after last week when there was that big drop off in the second half it, it felt to me that we were playing within ourselves a little bit in the first half and um we certainly looked fresher in the second half than we did last week um other than that i don't think there was a huge amount to say about it I mean, it was pretty kind of you know premier premier league football 101 in terms of how we approached it i think uh, i thought it was a, a you know a reasonably good performance obviously the goals you know plenty of goals and um yeah, I thought we did right. Oh, that that early that early goal. Mm. I mean, just I mean, an early goal is a cliche. Here's a Jake Humphreys style cliche. Probably an early goal changes everything. I don't know if it's him, but he's on well, my mind because you did that great reading. Uh, but you know, it is a cliche, but it did. And that's true both halves as well, isn't it? Because we scored within the first minute of the first half and within the two minutes of the second half. So that's you know whatever. Fat Sam's been saying to Leeds in the dressing room's kind of gone at that point, hasn't it? So, well, I was thinking of you when they showed him after that first goal. I thought you you must have been beaming, huh. double beaming, not just for the goal, but for the look on his face. All that at psycho psycho bollocks about like we're training at the ground and I'm wheeling in all the old legends, and it was just all undone in mm. three what less than three minutes. Three minutes, yeah. I mean, of course, this is all in, interlinked. But I wrote down in my notes um, at kickoff: Leeds five four one dinosaur football. Um, they were they their game plan was for it to keep it nil nil for as long as possible, <laughs> and then hopefully try and hit us with a set piece goal maybe with the last twenty minutes. Um, so yeah, yeah, cliches aside, games goals do change games. Um, I think what concerned <laughs> yeah, me was that this was a this was a, this was this was a team that we really could have gone out and thumped. Okay, we probably we, we did thump them in the end, but I thought we were very passive for large parts of the first half. So I thought we were quite necessary. polite. We're we? quite polite. We were very yeah. polite. I, mean. I, I, I thought we were we were unnecessarily inviting attention onto us, as we have done all season. Whether that's just a default setting, which is very difficult. Did you feel? To get out but there, can but I ask you honestly? Did you feel tense after that first goal at all? Well, we had that period where we conceded three very silly corners. So Bissouma hacked one up into the air and it went out for a corner. Then mm. Sanchez smashed one off him about five minutes afterwards. And mm. it did. It was a bit pinball inside our penalty area. Now, Leeds didn't, because they'd only selected two forwards on the pitch. I guess they you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Koch had a couple of opportunities from headers, both from diagonal balls in from the on the right-hand side. And just maybe one of those occasions where on another day, one of those headers dropped into the bottom corner and suddenly you won one against a, a game that you should shouldn't be one one in and and you question it as it worked out in hindsight now it was fine because we we created opportunities immediately in the second half and that killed him do you know if howard wilkinson was one of the ex leeds people who who was brought around us this week because i think he was because the last time i saw a leeds player leeds team play like that he was the manager yeah good call good call i mean i i've got to say i just if they were living by a sword and dying by it, then it was made of paper mache. I mean, uh, well, and, and ill-formed paper mache, I should say. Probably more like rice paper. I never felt threatened once, even when they missed that glorious... There was a glorious ball in from a... Uh, forgotten who it was now, actually. Someone put the ball in. Jack Harrison put that ball in. Mm. And all the chap has to do is direct it on goal and it's in. I mean, that was a, I thought that was a horrendous miss myself. But I just never... I never felt anxious at all. And I, in fact, to your point, I think it was quite polite. And I want to drag you in on this, Gareth, because you pointed this out during the first half. I think one of the things that really did sort of flummox us a little bit in that first half was the... Um, was the condition of the pitch? Yeah, you so should get I, into that because it was a great observation. I, I I can't take credit for it. I think our very own Jermaine Genus made the comment on the BT Sport commentary that that I was watching, and it just literally stuck in my head afterwards. He mentioned it was a slow pitch. Um, it, you know, it hadn't been watered. The ball was sticking to it. I mean, I've I've written here in my notes fifteen minutes. Genus says it's a slow pitch. 
deliberate by Leeds and Allardyce question mark. Um, Fuck Leeds, send them down was the next line that I'd written on there. Um, but once it was in my I'm head... I'm enjoying that that... this pod, this is great. We've got in on Jake Humphrey's hard. Milo's got a cracker about Sam Allardyce for you to come. And you've just read, read your notes. Fuck Leeds, let them go down. Wonderful stuff, yeah. this. I mean, one, yeah, once that was in my head, they were doing it. It was, it was like watching a game played on tape. The ball was just <laughs> sticking. It wasn't going anywhere. I mean, this is real old school manager stuff. I, I mean, I don't know whether he got us to change in a porter cabin in the car park or well, something. No, I mean, that's no, probably no, the only one left, <laughs> isn't it? If, no with hot overfl- water yeah, with the, the toilets yeah. not quite cleaned out, that horrible smell of urine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He is like, I mean, let's just let's just go for Fat Sam for a moment. Let's just go there. I mean, he reminds me of. I don't know if if you know David Peace, uh, the author. Um, he's, he's he's a great author, but probably most famous for his uh, Red Riding um, series, mm. which was which focused on on the north of England, specifically Yorkshire, in the seventies through to the early eighties, and it sort of centered around the, it centered around the time of uh, Peter Sutcliffe, and then went into uh, the miners time. So it was an you know an area a time when Northern England was particularly repressed. There was an awful lot of bad stuff happening to the miners and so on and so forth. But you do then get a peek behind the curtain at these, you know, these sort of like musty tweeded like detectives and all these sort of stoic, stodgy, if I may be blunt, northern cliches, Um, you know, working man's clubs, smoky bars, all of that. I just when I look at Sam Allardyce now and when I listen to him, I just see that. I see a David Peace character from that time, from that era. I mean, you know, I mean, I have to drag you in now, Milo. I'm sorry. I'm bringing you in early on this, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, on Allardyce, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased he's gone down. I mean, I think, um, you know, he's a, di- he's a dinosaur, isn't he? And um, I, I, I feel for Leeds a bit because they've gone from, and I don't, I won't say this often, so make the most of it, that, you know, they've gone from, <laughs> Uh, you know, being quite a you know a, a progressive, um, forward-thinking club. You know, under Bielsa, they've gone from Bielsa to Fat Sam in the space of what fourteen months, thirteen months, and all of that optimism about about them when they came under, up under Bielsa and yeah, you know, the connection he had with the fans, and you know they were playing some really exciting front foot football to then go to having you know eight defenders or six defenders, or whatever it was, on the pitch and. Just, I mean, just nothing. You know, no one plays like that in the Premier League anymore. No one. And I, whoever was making those decisions, who it just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Oh, and, oh. and I think, I think they've got a really difficult, difficult decision this summer because, you know, do they try and go back to what they were doing before? Do they try and do an about turn? you know, and put things right. Do they try and have a strategy again? I mean, we could be talking about us here as well, couldn't we? But, you know, do they try and have a strategy and go back to what they did, they were doing right before? Or do they continue on this path they're on? Um, which, you know, they'll be playing third-tier football if they carry on like that. And I think, that, I mean, the other thing that's interesting with them is I, I believe the owners of the San Francisco 49ers have got an option to buy like Leeds this they summer. Do. yes. And, you know, whether they're still going to be interested with them outside the Premier League, I don't know. It's massive. And of course, I've got to drag you out on this because you've definitely avoided it. But you said something, you made a comment about Fat Sam before the ball. I'm not letting you away with this. It was wonderful. We were talking, just to set it up, we were talking about Fat, about, about Sam Allardyce. And I was going on about the Northern cliche thing and so on and so forth. And you said, I said, if you cut him, he bleeds gravy. There we go. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so, so true. And I, look, I'm, I'm with you a little bit on Leeds. I mean, you know, I, I, I do, I actually do feel sorry for them as a club. 
uh, for a variety of reasons. I felt sorry for Robbie Keane being dragged in for that. Um, I certainly hope the funniest reason why it was the funniest reason why Sammy Lee was on jury service. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's funny how that lasted as long as it did, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, quite interesting but i hope, I hope you can imagine the phone calls <laughs> is it a long case no no but yeah. i don't fancy a chance of staying around for long <laughs> exactly yeah all right sam are you still on that case oh boss i'm so sorry i can't get away i just can't get away from you know it's yeah probably some like you know a purse snatching in, in skegness or something that was taken you know it was dealt with in five minutes where he's probably I, like not a chance i've, I got, hope a crime to re- I've got a crime to report his <laughs> fat sam Go getting on. paid for the job he's done at leeds that's absolutely right. How much do we speculate he got for that? And this is, by the way, folks, this is speculation. So that we're not we're not sure of the figures, but let's take a guess. I, I don't know what his wage was, but um, he was meant to be on a um, like million plus to to keep them up if he kept them up. So you know, so if he got half of that for bringing them down, that is an absolute disgrace, isn't it? He yeah, didn't even I mean, bring them down in style. What do they do? They lost at Man City. They drew at home with Newcastle. I think it was the crucial was when they lost at West Ham last week off the back yeah. of their Europa semi-final. Having but, gone ahead in the game, I may point having, out. Having gone ahead in the game, yeah. I mean, we've spoken about one major bell end from broadcasting. Let's bring another one in as well. I can't, I can't wait to see what Richard Keyes' comments on, on Allardyce is, having tried to tell <laughs> oh, him for that job for about the bring last them all on. months. Excellent. Let's bring them all on. This is great. This is this is the bell end weekend, isn't it? <laughs> We're just going to get in on all of them. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, indeed. Dynasty saws unite but uh i will say again just to i think i must have said this three or four times i just want to make sure that everyone understands. i hope that robbie Keane can extricate himself from that situation and and sort of like just sort of do a erase it from his cv because he doesn't doesn't really deserve to be part of anything associated with leeds but but back back to us right we've had we're we're having too much fun talking about gravy bleeding cliches (laughs) cut him open he bleeds gravy i wonder if there's a pie in front of him when you do that Almost certainly. He is. He's a pie eater, isn't he? He wants you to think he's a paella eater after his comments about I know more than Pep. But he's Mm. actually a pie eater, isn't he? That's the truth. (laughs) Aladici. Oh dear, Pedro Porro. Let's 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 just let's just get back to us, shall we? Pedro Porro played in in the front four. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do we think he did? I thought he had a really good game. I think after after Kane, he was probably our best performer. I would have said, and the two of them linked up really well. Um, he took his goal well. Um, uh, you know, created two for Kane. I thought he had a really solid game. Yeah, I think there's a really good chance he's going to have to reinvent himself in a new position for next season. The coach comes in and plays with a back four. Uh, he is, of course, is a player who was brought specifically to play a very, very specific role in a in a three four three system. So, you know, fair play to him. He um, he scored three times since the middle of March. He's got he's got at least one assist for that one against the, the Kane against Crystal Palace, and he looked fairly natural in that position when he got in front of goal. That wasn't yeah, um, you know, that wasn't just a, a lash at a, a shot into the no. far corner. That was that someone who looked like he belonged in that sort of position so you would you would, you would back him to score goals and to make things happen from there I think that's very important to note is that his finishes this season have been far from cheap I mean these are technically uh, excellently uh, executed goals and he certainly looks like he's got not just the skill but he's got the the desire and aptitude uh, to to flex his natural uh, role, if you will, to to do what he can for the team, and uh, you know, overall, he's been a, a huge bright spot actually uh, for the way he's fought through, um, you know, fought through the gears since he got signed. I do hope we find a way to play him at wing back or full back, um, you know, or a hybrid between the two, because I, I think uh, I do think he's better from deep, and I also think that 
you know, if you look at a lot, a lot of modern fullbacks, they start off as you know forwards who who develop into that. So I think that could come to his game. And if we, yeah, the problem this season is that our defence looks shoddy no matter who's in it. And yeah, with you know a proper preseason, some decent coaching, and a settled side, and you know less games to worry about next season, so we, we've yeah. got a bit more time to work on things on the training yes. ground. Then, then hopefully, he can develop into that. You know, if you think back to a you know kind of a young Carl Walker, he was very erratic and he used his pace a lot to get him out of trouble. Exactly um, the same. You know, Danny Danny Rose um, yeah. was you know a forward who was converted into a fullback, who again it wasn't really until he came back from you know, his loans where he really looked settled into that position. So and I'm not sure. Danny Rose at 20, Petro Porras 23. Where was, was Danny Rose in their side at 23 or was he out on loan? Gareth, you're I'm looking at you. I think he was back I'll with us by then, was he not? Carry on talking. You know, it was, it was, it was 2013, uh, 14. He was back with us by then. Yeah, 2014 is when he got offered that five-year contract, which, and he was criticised for that on social media. So he was born in 1990, so he was 24 that summer yeah. when 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 Poch yeah. came in. Yeah, right, okay. Back. So so really, yeah. yeah. So yeah, comparable ages. Radar's on. Yeah. And, and by the way, as you've been saying that, I've been sort of in my head, I've been thinking I was going to come in after you and make and make those points. So it's really interesting that we're, we're, we're on the same track and I think we're seeing the same thing. And I don't know if it's the fact that I'm into my second uh, second beverage of the afternoon, but I'm feeling a sudden flush of optimism because when you talk about that and then you talk about Udoji on the other side, and then you do talk about the lack of games, the lack of you know European football, which gives us more time to actually work on systems and these players and, and bringing them up to fruition. It's actually pretty exciting. And, I mean, he's and an you, exciting player, isn't he? He's exciting. I mean, he's got that presence and he energizes the crowd as well, which I really enjoy. And, and one option we might have is, you know, if you think about um, the way that Mourinho used Aurier when we had a back four with Aurier in it and then mm, he, he pushed forwards and we, uh, yeah, that's right. And we it converted into a back three with Emerson Royale and Ben Davis. We've got the options of doing that on either side. So you could be, Play yeah. Ben Davis at left back and Poro at right back, or Royal at right back and Udugi at, at left back, and you've got a chance of, of switching it around. So that might be an option next season, and, and it's a back four in defence and a, and a back three in attack. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, we talk about Ben Davis, who I know gets stick from some sections of our crowd, but I think again he looked very, very solid today. He looked really, he looked really decent, you know, the, overall. The Leeds goal was a bit similar to the one. Last week, where he allowed the ball to get through him, it, it was a bit. There was, um, yeah, maybe it's just that combination, and maybe you need someone. Yeah, I don't I'm going to stick but, with. I'm, I'm going to go with combinations. I mean, I'm going to. I think that there's no doubt that the centre is is the area that we're going to be investing in most heavily. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, I, there's I just, no doubt, and yeah, it needs it. It's a, it's a while since we've seen Ben Davis regularly play at fullback, and these last two weeks where he has been playing there, he's he's letting let's say two similar goals. I mean, I mean. I'm ignoring the one last week where he was roasted for pace. There, there was yeah, there's two where was... he's allowed to ball through him, but there's yeah. it's the ball, ball through him that I'm 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 referring to. The, yeah. Okay. Oh, fair enough. I mean, I I would write that off as much as uh, on the, uh, the you know what's, what's going I'm, on around him and beside I, him as anything. I, but you you make a good point. I'm, so, but... I'm saying it's it's something to watch. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. You yeah, know, yeah. It, it could if it becomes a habit, then yeah, that scrap the idea of <laughs> of a yeah. back four that becomes a back three with him in it. <laughs> well, and I think that the point, the general point, is I don't think anybody is calling for Ben Davis to be the first, you know, in the first eleven next season, guaranteed nailed on slot. But it was, it's nice to see that he is a squad option that I think still offers, you know, a lot for us. I mean, that that's my that's my take on 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 him anyway. So, uh, 
shall we have our weekly Harry Kane chat? Let's do it. He linked up well with Pedro Porro, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he certainly did. Um, come on, who wants to start the uh, the, uh, the the you know the, the, the eulogising? Uh, I mean, is there anything left to say about Harry Kane? Yes, there is always. So, who wants to go there? Oh, there was there's times when Harry Kane's played, particularly this season, where it just reminds you of, um, of of a kid playing in the playground with kids who are about three years younger than him. And he just <laughs> takes so over, true. and he just looks so superior to anyone yeah. else on the on the pitch, technically, physically, uh, and and that was how parts of the, particularly the second half. Um, there were some good moments in the first half as well. Um, both of his goals, he took them exactly as you would expect one of the best strikers in the world to you know, to take. He was never really in doubt that either of those were going to end up in the in the back of the net. And just to realise that he's finished the season with 30 Premier League goals in a team that's really, really struggled. It's, I mean, that... Apparently the second time he's done it and no other striker in Premiership history has achieved that goal, by the way. And this is someone who has never won a Premier League Player of the Year award. I think I think the Premier League should hang its head in shame, to be honest. Mm. But, yeah. yeah. Well, I voted for him last week after you told me to yeah. lie <laughs> But yeah, there's a, as I as I suspected, there were enough Liverpool and Arsenal fans on putting votes in. What happens? But yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I think his all round game today was excellent. I mean, game. We, you know, we used to saying this, but I thought I, my, probably my favourite bit of his play was actually the work he did for Porro's goal, where mm. um, you know, chip the ball and then just the brute force to try and force his his way through and and then you know, lay that pass on it. I think um, you know you're saying about the sticky pitch. I, th- I thought he was putting a little bit more pace on his passes in the second half because he knew that the pitch was going to hold the ball up and and it would stop you know run into into um, people's people's path. So yeah, I thought I thought he had an excellent game. I think the other thing is you know as well as the 30 Premier League goals, he scored in 26 different Premier League games this season. Yeah, which I think the only other player in the Premier League to do that was Andy Cole in '94. So yeah, remarkable in terms of you know, his contribution. Um, and and you mentioned that that wonderful turn and and the way he bullied his way through to 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 play Pedro Porro in. I mean, he had another turn of very similar proportions where he was uh, actually uh, openly yeah. fouled, yeah. Uh, and for yeah, and, and probably denied him a clear run at goal. Mm. I mean, that's what it looked like from the perspective that I had as I was watching. You know, I I think that it was really for me one of the most enjoyable things to see is just how much more comfortable he's getting uh, game by game with dropping in. Like, and dictating the pace of the game and dictating play. I mean, Leeds yeah. made it very easy today. I mean, let's be and honest, awful, it was probably yeah. like a yeah, it was like a practice match for him in that sense. But nonetheless, you can only play the opposition that you're playing. And he just, I mean, he was he conducted the game today, really. And, yeah, and absolutely. It was, it, he was head and shoulders above it. Anyone else? No one. No one was even clearly. No one was playing the same game as he was playing. You know, no. just no. leagues ahead of them. Um, I'm sure Harry Kane wouldn't thank me for saying this, but I kind of hope that that tweak he went down with in the first half he wakes up tomorrow morning it's a little bit sore and he misses out on the nation's league games with england over the next month or so and gets a nice long holiday and then comes back at the beginning of july fully refreshed um raring to go and with with no injury whatsoever but yeah just enough to keep him out of england duty for for a few weeks would be great I'm sort of on the fence, actually, with that. I know what you're saying, and I, I agree with the sentiment. But I, there's a side of me that thinks, well, if he if he's happy playing England games, and it's going to keep him happy staying with us next season. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, sorry about that. If he's happy playing England games and and staying with us next season because he's got those England games, then then he can do them. I I I, I, I follow I your logic, and I don't disagree. I don't see the two being connected, to be honest with you. And if he's injured, he's injured. But um, yeah, I think. I, I mean, I was thinking about this. 
a while ago, but we, you know, obviously we've had the season kind of interrupted by the World Cup and then the adjustments to the start and end dates because of that. And then before that, you've got the seasons, two seasons where you had you know, kind of COVID impacting on them. You, you, you get to the point where he hasn't really had proper rest for about four years. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And what a, But what, isn't it astounding how healthy he's remained? That's a testimony to the work that he does it, off the pitch with his own training and, and, and recovery staff. It, it is, but it, that's going to get harder. And yeah, I, I, I think it's ridiculous you've got these international games at the end of this season when you had, you know, you lost two months in the middle of the season for the no, World I, Cup. It's I, just I, absolutely I ridiculous. I agree with that 100%. The Nations League has never been this pod's favourite tournament, has it? Let's be honest. We've uh, we've, we've gone but, we've gone against it several times and I don't disagree with you. But this is an international window the world over, not the whole the whole world isn't playing the Nations League. So, um, yeah, it's just it's, ridiculous. It's a good Euros, chance to pick on that as well, isn't it? Is it the Euros? I think it's the, it's the, yeah, it's the European Championship 2024 qualification. Dear God, that just goes to show you how far off the, the, the international football calendar are. Well, well they're, what, whatever it is, it's bollocks. And I agree, they should be finding another time to play these games. How easy it is for me to say that, right? <laughs> I'm charge trying to shuffle these games. But no, I, I, this, the overall sentiment is, is absolutely right, Milo. It would be great to see him get a good rest, wouldn't it? Because as you said, uh, you know, you can only ride that wave of incessant uh, playing time so many you know, so many weeks and months before something has to give. So Matthew Craig and George Abbott, two names that I think it's fair to say a lot of supporters were surprised to see in the match squad today. Um, they made their debuts. Um, I mean, you know, that, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, who, wants, who wants to start that conversation? Um, yeah, I mean, Matthew Craig's been knocking around the first team squad for a while. So he was on the bench in one of Nuno's first games when we played Passos to Ferrer. He didn't come on. So today was his, 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 his full okay. debut. So he's obviously been knocking around for a while. Um, and I think it was just really important that whether it's symbolic or not, just getting academy players onto the pitch mm. at the moment. We know that there's been some big issues around pathways into the first team. And I think it's really good. I mean, what did we end up with? As well as Kane, Skip, um, Abbott, there was, what, four academy players who mm-hmm. would have been involved. Today. So, so, so that side alone. Um, I mean, Matthew Craig, um, I, I really hope he does well for no better reason, really, than he went to my old school. So he's, um, he's, he's from good stock. And... Um, Maybe inquire as to what school that was. I will tell it to you. Yeah, Dame Alice Owen School. It's um, okay. also the same school that both Bill Nicholson and Danny Blanchflower's grandchildren went to as well. God, you you really do come from blue and white stock, don't you? I don't, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, actually, it's an Arsenal school. It was originally the school was in Islington, and it would always associate itself with being an Arsenal school. But I think I've given enough examples there. Luca Gunter is the captain of our under 18s Is another um, Owens boy as well. So we could just edit out that bit where you said it's known as an Arsenal <laughs> school because you've just disproven your your own comment. So Matthew Craig can play at say centre mid, central midfield mainly, but he could also play at centre back and right back. Um, I, th- he's, I think he's a bit of a steady Eddie. I think he hasn't he doesn't really pull up trees much, but he's he's very reliable, and you rarely see him do anything wrong so i don't know maybe he becomes a kind of dependable first team squad player because you know he doesn't set the world on fire but but he's reliable and you can use him in you could bring him on at anfield in the 94th minute and he won't try a a blind look pass back inside to his own central (laughs) defender is that what you're saying yeah but he's he's left-footed as well so just from a balance perspective yeah i suspect he maybe he could do a job but has he played fullback for the under 20 he has played he has played yeah so and his twin brother Michael was at Spurs until last summer. He left. He's now at Reading. He's made uh, five appearances for them this season. So, um, is he a lookalike twin? I, I know. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely yeah. identical. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah wow. Plays for Scotland. 
So, and George, George Abbott, so 17 year, years old, signed his first contract with us earlier this season. Um, I thought, say, so that tackle he did in the box, you know, minutes after coming on or a minute after coming on was beautifully well timed. Um, and he also played, he played in the under 17 and under 18 sides that won the Premier League Cup earlier this season. So, um, yeah, very early for him to be getting first team minutes, but yeah, really good for him. I, I think this speaks very much again to the maybe unseen but really important work that Ryan Mason has mm-hmm. done since he stepped in. Because as you said, uh, Gareth, you know, these are the important steps to take right now, especially at a time when maybe some of those youth players are looking and saying, well, hang on, what really happens here in terms of loans versus appearances? This is a statement uh, from Ryan Mason that, no, you will get time at this club if you deserve it. And I think it's a vital thing to do. And so on that basis alone, I was delighted to see them both. I mean, their performances were, were steady and that's the most you can hope for, right? So, but he, the, the gesture is fantastic. Mason was asked about them in the post-match press conference. And I think the question said, yeah, drew, drew parallels to how Mason came through under Pochettino along with several other young players. He said, I think obviously that period we were quite fortunate because we had some outstanding young players. I'm taking myself out of that as I don't want to blow my own trumpet. We had Harry Kane, Andros Townsend, Alex Pritchard, Adam Smith. I could name so many players that went on to play in the Premier League and have had incredible careers. But I'd say the most important thing is that people who have, who have energy, who feel the pride to wear the shirt... Those two lads that came on, I said it to them afterwards, that they are an example of what the academy player should look like in terms of their work rate. I've been in the academy. I know both of them very well, and that's not a gift for either of them. That's hard work, consistently, every day, doing it right, so they deserve that moment. And I really value young players in the squad, because when you've got a player that feels the club and knows what it's like to present, represent the football club, it can be powerful. Dear God, we should just have you read various items from 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 today and from the in a previous week because everything you've been reading today has been bang on and and really inspirational. I've, I mean, got, in either way, what what a I've, wonderful thing to to hear from our manager and 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 how wonderfully I, delivered by though. Sure. While we're talking about Mason quotes, actually, because he he was talking about um kind of the management position, so they were asking him a bit about him as as a yeah, manager, yeah. and then but also what the club needs. So, um, he said. So asking about the manager situation, honestly, I think, as I've said, we probably need to understand where we want to go and who we want to be. And that's the most important thing. Once you decide that, then you can employ people that fit that. And then I think everyone is quite clear on the direction we would like to go. We have quite a big squad. Whoever's in charge in pre-season, there's a lot of players and decisions to make. Ultimately, I think we need to get back to who we want to be who our fans want us to be, and then going forward, we'll have better results on a more consistent basis. Can I suggest that we, we, we leave that sitting where it is for the moment and come back to it a little later in the pod where, where there's going to be a slightly more expansive discussion, um, which will play off that. I mean, it's a brilliant quote and it warms the cockles of my heart ne- nearly got, as much as this uh, fine whiskey that I'm drinking. But uh, the got, combination, got, the combination of both that- is making me optimistic. There's a, there's a couple more quotes from him, so I'll pick that up later. Fantastic, on. fantastic, and 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 a great way to start us off with with uh, with knowing what's you know both what's in Ryan Mason's mind uh, and and really what he's been trying to do and the mm. philosophy he's been trying to instill in this club, which I think we would all agree uh, fell off a cliff uh, somewhere around Christmas, so uh, and maybe even before that, but that. That's going to be discussed several times over over the summer period, I'm sure. Um, let's uh, switch quickly and and uh, as quickly as he was in the 94th minute uh, to Lucas Mora. 
Um, you know, we, we've had our words about him on this pod. I think uh, support base has had uh, its words about him. I think uh, someone, one of you said, and I can't remember, I'll say that you both said it, both Gareth and Milo said, said to me earlier, folks, that, uh, you know, they felt that his career was one of, of, of highlights or moments, so to speak. And I think that was an excellent uh, summation of his of his career and my word he delivered one for us today didn't he gareth yeah he did i mean i have to say i didn't see it live because at that point i was flicking over to see whether brighton were going to equalize sorry Aston let's Phillip. let's let's start let's start again and and let's pretend that you didn't say that bit <laughs> <laughs> no i it was um it, it, it was a really fitting end for him and again we've i've, I've got to give um i've got to reference ram because he said this on our whatsapp group but essentially lucas morris scored the goal that he's been trying to score every time he's picked up the ball in the five and a half years that he's been with us didn't he um it, it, it was really, ram it's so true yeah. it wasn't really fitting in. i was really worried when i watched the replay of it first of all i thought it was the leeds defender who'd actually poked it into the corner imagine that but um it was definitely lucas's goal he flicks it with the outside of his foot very um very nonchalantly into the corner and um no good it luck did to have him. a little bit of a Dutch flick to it, didn't it? To be fair, yeah, yeah, and you can see what he means to the rest of the squad. I mean, I think we realised he'd um, we'd outgrown him maybe a couple of years ago, but he's clearly a very, very popular character mm. um, amongst the rest of the squad. Um, they all wanted to celebrate with him, as particularly the Brazilian players, his, his compatriots, and um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased for him that he got that moment. Yeah, I think um, so. I read you I had during the week when. Um, when there's a press conference on Friday, it must have been, Mora came down uh, to the press conference and thanked all of the journalists um, for everything that, you know, said, you know, what they'd written about him and what have you. He said kind of, you know, good and bad and thanked them all personally, which um, say I'm not his biggest fan, but it's a nice touch. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just think, you know, Lucas, if you would spend 15 or 20 minutes with us here on the pod, we could actually shape the other side of you that, that, could needs a little more education because you've got it in you you obviously uh, you've obviously got warmth and empathy in you you just need to let's adjust that bit of it and then you'll see how wrong you've been on bolsonaro and stuff but gareth was that a fitting end to his time with us yeah i i've I've been thinking about perhaps other incidents or other players who had gone out with gone out on a real high with so the, the the ones that came to mind were um gareth bale on his final game for us in his first spell score that goal against Sunderland, where he cut in from the right and bent one in from 25 yards that was very much a trademark um bale goal defoe scored for us on his final game uh home to crystal palace he was then i think it's had a bale picked him up and put him on his shoulders and mm. he, he got a sort of a you know a lap of honor from the from the crowd Klinsman when he came back in 98 scored against southampton on his um on the final day of the season with a with a volley um, and this is a bit of a, a myth buster actually but um, Lucas's goal reminded me a little bit of Hoddle's goal against Oxford at White Hart Lane mm-hmm. but um, a statistician would tell you that wasn't Hoddle's last game for Spurs or at White Hart Lane he played I... the cup final the week after and then we also played against Man United but that game is that goal is often remembered as being Hoddle's finale at White Hart Lane when he you know dribbled round everyone from inside his own half including the goalkeeper possibly you were there Steph but I did I actually was wasn't there for that, but I, 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 I will say that I still I think I see where you're going with that comparison. But Glenn, I mean, Glenn took them all out of the halfway line and then had that just that stride for the final forty yards with nobody. I mean, he had he had so much time to think about how he could fuck it up. But of course, Glenn hmm. didn't fuck those things up, did he? No. Um, and I thought. To be, I thought and to was, be fair, it wasn't against, it wasn't against the defence that was getting their phones out, phoning their agent, asking whether they could get out of the club that summer. You know, it was. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was interesting because Liam Cooper certainly slid in like he was trying to get his hand in his pocket on the ground, didn't he? Like to get to get the older to get the old iPhone out. You're right. Uh, I, I have to say, I thought it was a really fitting goal for Lucas. Mm-hmm. It was a very Lucas type goal because we've you know we've referred to him on this pod in the past as being well, he is a futsal you know player, obviously, and we've called him PS3, PS4, PS5, you know, compute video game. You player. have, you have, I have, and, <laughs> no and one quite else rightly has. so. No, never no took I have. Off. I, it never, I, never no, took it, off. It was just you. It didn't take off. <laughs> But I was absolutely right, uh, actually. I'd just like to further state that. Um, but he, um, in, in true Jake Humphreys fashion, I, I just work on the marginal gains and the small metaphors that lead me to the big career that I'm, or that I've, that I'm having, you know. Uh, so, but uh, you know uh, so well. I didn't get up early in the morning to deliver that, by the way. But no. no, I mean, back to the goal. I mean, it was, a, it was very much, I mean, Ram's really taken the biscuit with this, hasn't he? He's said it exactly. It was this type of goal that Lucas, always tries to score and you know it it, 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 every trademark of his right I mean it really reminded me of Ajax it did I mean that you know tight feet small space you know get Mm. the finish off cluster of people around him and the celebration you know if you're going to end a season which we literally did on that minute you know you couldn't really have scripted a much nicer and happier ending could you because uh they really looked so delighted for him and what you said is so true Gareth it made me think you know we question why these players are in the squads when they're clearly not up to it anymore and it just goes to show show us that you know we don't always know what the glue is we don't always know what the situation is you know so and he is very popular yeah it was a nice moment should we skip over our leads questions we spoke about them quite a lot earlier on and just go straight to the closing thoughts yeah yes one positive one negative 30 seconds Steph you kick off the positive was how we ended. You know, we ended with a smile. We ended with all the players looking happy. We ended with them in the corner in front of our fans. You know, the season ended on a smile. And I have to say, smiles have been hard to find. Mm-hmm. So it was tremendous that we managed to end on one. You know, take away it was a dead rubber and so on and so forth. Whatever. What a great way to end the season. Um, I suppose, you know, the negative is that it was a relative dead rubber, you know. I mean that that's probably the, the biggest negative that we weren't fighting for top four as we as we so easily could have been. Gareth. Yeah, um, for me, just the timing timing of the goals was really important. Think about from mm. a mentality perspective. So we scored um, three goals within well within two minutes of the of the first kickoff, two minutes of the second half restarting, and I think crucially within two minutes of Leeds having pulled one back, which otherwise could have been a difficult period for us. So uh, yeah, that was that was that was definitely good. Um, yeah, the, the negative in isolation of today, the negative was the Aston Villa won their game and we finished the season outside of the European spots. Is it worth just taking a minute on that about kind of the impact of of not having European football? I mean, it's the first time it's happened since was it two thousand eight nine? It was it yeah. was the uh, eight games two, two points, points games season, wasn't start. it? Yeah. And yes. um, so Redknapp's half season. Obviously, the last time that so the last time we didn't have European competition, we finished top four for the or qualified for the Champions League the first time in our history the following season. So yeah, what do you think? Is it? Um, the impact of not having European football next season. Are you, are you pleased about it? Upset about it? Indifferent? I'm personally, I'm in. I'm indifferent. I could see pros and cons either way. Um, you know, I'm not delighted. I see some people are saying they're absolutely delighted we're not in the, the Conference League next year. I, I don't think I'm there. I think it partly depends on who the new manager is and how they want to use the use the squad as much as anything else. Um, 
I, I, I say watch the closing minutes of the game at Villa Park and, you know, their crowd were absolutely desperate to get that mm-hmm. seventh spot and get into the Conference League. And I just really thought it, it means so much to them that, you know, good luck to them, you know, let them have it. I, I don't think had it had had, had the roles been reversed um, and we've been holding on to it, I don't think we'd have seen that same reaction from from our crowd. I think we probably just need to have a little bit of a reset. Maybe it's a conversation for the for the summer, but I think as a club, we and this includes us as supporters, we really need to think about what our um, our, our attitude towards playing in European competitions in the in the non elite ones are because I think I think it stinks at the moment, and I don't want to go back into the European competition again where everyone just goes through the motions. You get thirty thousand people turn up for a game, and when we get eventually get knocked out at the first knockout stage because we've got a more important league going the following weekend um, again everyone cries in, indifference about it I, I think as a, as a club when we go into it and we genuinely all want to go and win it then I'll be excited about it so maybe I'm part of that problem as well well I mean first of all when it comes to Aston Villa we should note that they have a manager and a plan and a plan that is working and a plan that is moving forward and they have a manager no they do they have Unai Emery and he's working and he's doing a great job for them and it would be churlish to deny it and he's also won a European trophy a couple of times so yeah they will be excited about it and 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 as they should be um I think for us, I'm I'm in the it's a positive uh, uh, camp as long as the decisions that are made this summer uh, are commensurate in the sense of taking advantage of what could be a fantastic time to rebuild our club in terms of philosophy and direction, uh, and and it's kind of river flowing into what you said there, Gareth. You know, deciding uh, exactly, you know, are we a club that's going to take cup competitions nervously? You know, thinking about the league game the following week, or are we actually going to, de- you know, develop a philosophy where we we can deal with with having you know three games a week uh, we've got a season to work that out and a season to build a squad and a system and uh, that, that makes it work so i i was not i was not disappointed myself uh i i'm fine with it but that's contingent on the decisions that come yeah I mean, it's an opportunity if we take it i i wanted european football but um i don't think it's a disaster that we haven't got it i think it probably makes the rebuilding job this summer a little easier because yeah. we can go into the season with a smaller squad so the focus is going to be primarily on moving on players i think and we can bring in a few less um probably means that there's a few less chances for our academy players to be getting regular football um but you know they'll be in part of the squad so maybe that means that the better ones need to be need, need to be loaned out rather than having half a season with with the first team playing playing european football and then going out in january but again i don't think that would be a bad thing um I think the concern for us is that our coefficient points from the Champions League final season drop off next season. So we'll we'll find ourselves in lower pots uh, when we do qualify for European competition again. Um, and if that was Champions League, we know how tough it can be being in a Champions League group where you're in pot four and you've got you know three really good teams in there, which is um, probably what what we're facing next time we qualify. But it's interesting you say that because my theory on this season's Champions League group was that it was actually incredibly tough because it was not quite Champions League. It was more of a Europe. It was more of a Europa League plus division. And I think we play better on the big nights against big teams. So that's my uh, weirdly optimistic view of getting Real Madrid, Juventus, and Man City in the same uh, in the same group. But uh, I mean, I, I, look, your point is perfectly well made on paper. We're going to be ending up in tough groups, but let's 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 end up in tough groups. Let's get a side and a philosophy and a squad together that can get us back into tough groups in the Champions League. That would be that would be the most important thing, and I think we have an opportunity to do it. Let's can I have my positive and negative now? You should. Yes. Yeah. My positive is I'll never have to see us playing in the wetsuit again. 
Amen to that, yep. Most horrendous shirt I think I've ever seen us put out in. Um, <laughs> ne- negative. I don't, I, I'm, yeah, it's considered a sloppy guy. I'm struggling it's a bit. Brilliant, it's been such well, a brilliant time, I, isn't it? It kind of took me back to when we were um, kind of mid, you know, mid-table side and uh, the last few months of the season were all, there was nothing left to play for. I always used to quite enjoy the last game of the season. You know, you have a few beers with your mates. So it'd be nice weather. You could hang around in a pub, you know, pub garden before getting to the ground. Um, the game itself was, didn't really matter. It was just the last time you saw your mates before you went away for your summer and then you'd see them again in August. And, uh, you know, this was a game that had a lot of those kind of vibes to it, to me. It's, and, um, you're, you're edging into a double positive here, aren't you? Because it also gave you the added pleasure of seeing Fat Sam fail again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. I'm quite looking forward to a few weeks without Spurs. It's, it's been a tough without old this, season. Without this, without, without this Spurs, right? Let's yeah, be clear. It's been, it's, yeah. it's been a tough old season. I'm, I'm quite, I'm really pleased to see the back of this season. And I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an optimistic sort. So give me a few weeks and I'll be pining for the start of, you know, start of the next season. Um, but you know, I, I quite like the summer. I like the transfer window before you realise that all your signings are shit and everything. At this time, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it, we're coming into the part of the season where every every everyone you'd link with is a world beater, and um, you know, yeah. there's n- nothing but excitement around it. Um, and then you realise that you've bought a load of a, a load of cloggers who don't fit into the same side, and it, you know, it all starts again. <laughs> Oh dear. There's so, I mean, there's just so much to say about that, but it will be getting into the various uh, tributaries that spring off that statement in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But there is a lot to say about it. And actually, I've got to say this as well before we move on. I mean, we talk about we're, we're glad to see the back of this season. I mean, to me, it's felt like two seasons in one. I mean, physically, it was separated by this bizarre World Cup, uh, which I think threw everyone, not just us. I think it threw all teams. But it really, it really has been a, a tale of two seasons in many ways but again we will discuss this in 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 a not so far away future pod i'm sure um okay we move on uh the england under 20s in action hang on hang on what have i done you've missed the missed the first one should i pick this one up let me do this you have especially if i can't even get the order of these things right you should pick it up ladies and gentlemen gentlemen, we'll we'll now move on to the, the week that was Having flashed a cheeky wink our way in a press conference a couple of weeks ago, on Wednesday, Arnest Slot was backpedalling considerably. Well, to the point where he signed a new contract with Feyenoord. This uh, this was met hours later by a Sky Sports exclusive saying that we'd walked away from negotiations because we were surprised by the level of compensation that Feyenoord wanted for Slot and his coaches, and that we felt that Arnie was using us to help get a better deal at Feyenoord, which he got. So what do we think happened, chaps? Do you mind if I go in first on this, Gareth? I have a, I have a theory. Uh, uh, this is, uh, uh, this is my opinion. I, this is not gleaned from anything. Okay, so anyone listening who thinks, oh, you know, he's trying to claim in the note, I'm not. This is my opinion. My opinion is that we sounded out his agent. We had some chats. We found out the slot would be very interested in coming to us, uh, and we then turned around to the. <laughs> That the agent said, well, by the way, could you get him to help us move that along by actually officially telling Feyenoord he doesn't want to be there um, in the hopes that it would bring the cost down uh, of getting him to our club? And I think somewhere in between, in, in the middle of all that, I think someone's taken a look and thought, <laughs> I don't know if I fancy that so much. And I don't know if I fancy the way that this situation works. That's my take on it, is that we 
we we went about it in shall we say a less than brilliant fashion i think he would have come to us if we'd gone up if, if we'd just gone and like we'd had formal negotiations cra- if we'd stumped up the cash yes or at the very least like st- showed up at the table without asking him to do some of the work for us that's my opinion again my opinion yeah i, I suspect that's probably not too far from the truth how however you pitch it it doesn't reflect well on us uh this was a manager who said that he will consider himself a failure if his next job isn't an overseas one he speaks perfect english i think we can perhaps Im- imply that coming to england would be something that would be aspirational you you're coming to the i say quote unquote best league in the world you're offering him an opportunity to live and work in in london with some of the finest real estate in in, in european football and the deal hasn't got across the line there's so there's no way that the club comes out of this this well um i mean i do know that i think he in joining final from alkmaar he left in fairly acrimonious circumstances mm. I, I don't think he handled that particularly well and it didn't go down well the time he left so perhaps he was he was slightly conscious of that which does tie in with um with with steph's theory i mean my my worst thoughts on this are is that once the conversations went went further along and he was able to do some research into the working environment that he would be going mm. into, he thought bollocks to that, I'm, I'm staying in Holland. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah, I, I'm not so sure it was that. I mean, it, it, we'd been talking, talks had happened the week before as well. Uh, you know, after those, he was, you know, flirting with us, you know, it, it was clearly interested in that press conference last weekend. Um, I'm sure... He was Googling us and what had gone on there a lot earlier than that. And if he wasn't interested, it wouldn't have got around to the second weeks of talk. So I'm pretty sure that um, that he was interested. I, you know, I, I think um, Steph's probably right. I'd been reading the uh, Dutch press the night before. Uh, he said that he w- he didn't want to come, um, and you know, it kind of fits with that. And and, and actually, what, what Spurs said fits with what the Dutch press were saying the night before as well. So. I think actually it's pretty straightforward and it's, it's as reported. Um, and you could understand him wanting to have a crack at the in the Champions League with um, yeah. with Feyenoord. You know, if he does reasonably well in Eredivisie and Champions League next season, then his choice of clubs is going to be a lot wider, isn't it? Um, yeah. And you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you could see him end up in you know the Bundesliga or you know getting a, a, a crack at another English club. It's not as if the jobs don't come around reasonably quick, reasonably often. I mean, as yeah. for that matter, you know, he could wait, he could wait, he could wait uh, fourteen months, and our job will be available again. Yeah, no doubt. And and look, obviously, again, we're not going to get into the manager question deeply this week. There's there's going to be future pods for that, and uh, and, and we will. We, we, we will be diving in at that point. But I did want to just uh, ask you if you would agree with what I'm going to say here, which is, do you chaps not wish, like I do, that the club would be proactive in their work with modern media as opposed to reactive? I mean, why couldn't they, uh, weeks ago, put out a statement that basically said, you know, you're going to see names coming back and forth or words to that effect. We will make our choice in the summer. And why could they not stick to that? And why do we react with these, with the, you know, the Nagel, the, the Nagelsman? There was a reaction. Well, that was proactive. We were very proactive there. Make your mind up. <laughs> we we got that statement out before he did. Um, yeah, but I, mean, but I guess what I'm saying is the statement for me should have been to repeat the statement that should have come before all of it, which is, you know, as we've said, we're taking our time. So not I mean, be that's, specific. So that's certainly what we were doing earlier in this process. Every time, all of the beat journalists have said that. Uh, every time there was a story out there and they were asking the club about it, the club was saying exactly that. Uh, we're going through due diligence. We haven't negotiated with anyone yet. We're waiting till the summer. And to be fair, I think that is still the case now. Um, yeah, we haven't negotiated directly with slot. We didn't do that. And we also know from, uh, I think as the athletic journals were saying that 
we weren't negotiating exclusively with him. We were still having conversations with other candidates. So I think you know, whilst everyone's expectation was that Slot was going to be the next manager at that point, how much of that is because the press were reporting that? We sure. don't know. But yeah, it wasn't as if it was, you know, we'd gone down to kind of exclusive negotiations just with him. No, I get that. But then are we saying that, you know, when we see a comment floated out via a couple of uh, uh, outlets, uh, possibly more reliable outlets, saying that, quote unquote, we felt that Slot was using us to help get a better deal at Feyenoord. I mean, do we think that that's maybe leaving, you know, are we leaving a, a foot in late on the tackle there? I mean, is that or is that just someone putting two and two together and making it up? Because it felt floated yeah. to me like I mean, it was I, a little I, bit I, of a I, kickback. I I just don't buy that because I think whatever he was being offered no, financially, it's rubbish. At final, it's going to be more than he would get at probably yeah, any Premier is, League club. Just, 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 is just, it our just, rubbish or is it the club? That's what I can't figure out. The Dutch press were reporting pretty much that the night before and that wasn't leaked from Spurs so you know we know that Feyenoord didn't want to lose him we knew that Feyenoord were going to make it difficult for him to leave we know that Feyenoord had a better offer on the table and as Gareth said you know when he left AZ it was um, acrimonious and if Feyenoord were going to say it was going to make it difficult for him maybe he just thought that that wasn't you know the right the right path for him and I think you're probably right Steph I think we probably did ask him to tell Feyenoord that he wanted to leave in order that we could try and force down the compensation. I mean, the compensation package would have been the third highest ever for a for a manager. Only Nagelsmann and, and Potter um, have paid more than that. I, I mean, I think, personally, I think the kind of transfer fee for a manager thing is weird because 15 million is a Jed Spence. So we spent that last summer on a player who's got minutes for us. But that's just the way it is. And, you know, maybe Levy's worried about paying 15 million for a player, you know, for a manager and then, you know, you've got that hanging over him if he sacks him a year down the line or whatever. You know, as Chelsea had thrown at them for Potter, everyone said they were crazy paying all that money to get Potter and his team out of Brighton and then sack him a few, you know, a few months later. I think from an accounting perspective, the amortisation for managers is very different from players, which is why you can't really compare yeah. one with the other in terms of the fees. And and I mean, let me throw this in from from the other side. Let me throw this in and try and put myself, you know, in in the you know in the neutral position. Uh, and you mentioned this already, uh, Milo, about the press reporting things. And and you know, definitely, definitely, we all felt if we were following the media flow that you know Arna was slotting in. I mean, I even cheesily <laughs> attempted to adapt the script last week, and you can, and you Could, held me back. Thankfully, can I just say actually, this is the one positive of it that I don't have to put up with three years worth of. <laughs> Three years worth of dad jokes around his name. So, I, not just Poster, for me. I want to make that clear. Not just for me. So, yeah, Poster Coglu is dream, the dream for me because you can't pun him. Uh, although you'll probably, I'll find Ange, a way. Ange, you'll do something with Ange, won't you? I, I will find a way if indeed. Is there, and, is there and, an we'll, Ange for you? We'll discuss this when the time is right. I'm not discussing it now. I'm not keeping my gunpowder dry. Don't try and drag me out right now, but I appreciate your concern. Don't be worried. I will, I will anyway, meet you. Not meet three you years worth of hill. dad jokes. That's, that's ideal. So that's the ideal for you. But generally speaking, I mean, is it, are, you know, are we and do we as a fan base need to be a little smarter and a little less reactive to every single whisper in the media? I mean, is there a case to Have say you met Spurs fans? that the. <laughs> 
I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, is there a case to say that, look, okay, we may not necessarily agree with the way the club go about their stuff, but they're perfectly entitled to do it the way they're doing it. And if the press siphon off and blow things up out of proportion or blow up, blow things up into hope, should we then be, you know, responding with, wow, what a shower of shit when it doesn't happen? Um, And how many, I mean, it is true. How many of us truly, truly have paid attention to Arna's slot in December of this year or January of this year. I will put my hand in the air and say, I had not. And I consider myself a fairly football educated person, but all of a sudden I found myself swept up in the maelstrom of, Oh my God, we failed to get this guy. What the fuck's going on? And then when I sat back, I'm thinking, well, hang on. I didn't know this guy particularly well in, in December. So who am I? So when, when Conte was sacked, I ran a series of polls on the pod Twitter account, asking people who they wanted to be the next manager out of the candidates ran it through some heats and slot went out in the first round with i think about two percent of the votes there we and, go <laughs> and i had people asking me who arnie slot was and then six weeks later or seven weeks later or whatever it's a fucking catastrophe that he hasn't joined it's, us it is and, true isn't it it's and, true and yeah. that's kind of what i was saying about the transfer window with players earlier on i like the bit in the summer where they're all fucking world beaters <laughs> and i've watched their clips on youtube and then then the slow realization that actually they're not much better than what we had before when you see them in a shirt and yeah i, I mean i think only slots a good manager i think he's, you know he's done a fantastic job with fernald i've spent a lot of time over the last few weeks watching fernald games to try and familiarize myself yeah. with him you know i think he would have done a good job but i don't think I don't think he's the only decent candidate. I don't think he's the only decent candidate left in contention. Uh, I don't think it's the end of the world that he hasn't joined. Yeah. Especially well, I, as even on this pod, sorry, Gareth, just to say this, especially this pod, we were saying, you know, the director of football was probably the most important appointment yeah, and that, that needed to happen earlier. And then all of a yeah. sudden, myself included, yeah. I was spinning almost 90 degrees into like, oh, great, we're going to get Arna Slot, a manager who, by the way, also suffered the enigma of being called Arse Slot when he was first mm-hmm. associated with us, somewhat sometimes by our own supporters. So, again, this name came from no, relatively um, nowhere, yeah. I should that, say, that to was those a, that of was us a, who were just that was a joke by bankrupt that was that was a joke that wasn't real no one's doing that really that was okay, a joke by bankrupt right. well i like bankrupt jokes so you know in general i like a bankrupt joke as you can tell by the uh, level of my humor uh but anyway uh, that being said i i just you know we are in this position i think where we're maybe agreeing that a little less overreaction uh might so. be might be healthy yeah, so I'd, I'd never heard of him until maybe a couple of months ago, until his name started coming up in, in polls. As, as recently as three weeks ago, I was talking to someone who commentates on Dutch football, and he was um, he was a little bit sceptical just about, just because Dutch football is so nuanced tactically that trying to implement that into into another league is, is difficult, and it would have been a, a bit of a risk to do it. This time last week, I think I was quite emotionally invested into, in, into slot. I think it's not so much the fact that um, he has turned it, down if, if that's what's happened it's more the fact that he seemed to be our first choice and he's turned it down so it does feel yes, like we're maybe going down going down the list the other thing i just want to say and i, I hear a number of kind of very prominent podcasters who, who we often talk um very favorably about who keep going on about this countdown jake humphreys again i mean not, honestly not jake <laughs> brilliant 
who I Not can Jake actually, I can, who I can tell Jake everyone <laughs> is a complete wanker. And I know this because Milo read me this brilliant piece before we came on air. Have I said this already? Anyway, <laughs> no, a, a lot of people are saying about oh, it's this number of days since Conte was sacked, and this is in, it was how this many till we got Nuno in last time. And I think, look, Milo, you, you've read Soconomics, and I, I know that mm. you're an advocate of it. But there was a chapter in there about appointing managers and about how football clubs traditionally rush appointments of managers in a way that most good blue ribbon organizations would not rush appointing their chief executive or their their senior leaders it's a it's a good thing to take your time and to process all the different options and to go through that due, due diligence which probably involves talking to people and having conversations with them and their representatives and finding out what their their thoughts and their visions are before you make an appointment so i don't it shouldn't be seen as a sign of weakness that it's what 64 days or however many since since, since conte left and we've we've been looking what does concern me though is in in, in in contradiction to that is who is making that decision at the moment who are the people who are making those decisions mm. because we know that that director of football dynamic changes things yeah i mean i think if we bring in someone within the next couple of weeks i don't think we have to worry well the you know the issue with nuno was that it happened a week before pre-season started so you know if they've used the time up till now in order to do that due diligence you know potentially it's someone who's in a job at the moment and you know they could be leaving that um then i think that's you know I, I don't i don't have a problem with that but obviously if it starts getting towards the end of june then um i'd be less relaxed i i think you both hit a fascinating point in our search for both positions and again it is something we're going to come back to in more detail but from a fan perspective and i'll speak for myself here i think it's I'm having a very hard time with the dividing line between trusting the people who are making these decisions and my own relative lack of knowledge. And and let's be honest, the vast majority of us don't really know the world football scene. We don't know. And uh, I mean, I know that Milo, you're, you're quite fastidious when it comes to looking into names that are associated with us and you do a lot of homework, um, which is brilliant. Uh, I, I think most, you know, most people do not go into it on that level or, or always. I speak for myself. I'd heard Arna Slot. I watched a few final games. I couldn't tell you that f- you know, football wise, I was especially disappointed. I just, I, I bought, you know, I kind of got what, sucked into the maelstrom and, and that's and a I, very important thing. And what I didn't, you know? I didn't go to the lengths of getting a cab in Amsterdam and talking to the cabbie about it, Steph. So, I mean, you know, in Fair terms enough. of kind of Fair enough. You know, I the did, research I did you went further than me. Fair enough. I did nerd out a little. That went, that was an expensive bit of research. I don't have to travel all that way just to speak to that cabbie. But, you know, it, it, seriously, I think that, that you've, you've both made a very good point and we'll pick it up when the pod goes in that direction in the next couple of weeks. The trust of who's making these decisions is, I think, what concerns us the most. Yeah, of course. And of course. I'd be quite happy to acquiesce and confess my ignorance even more if I trusted who was making these decisions. And so it comes to what you said, Gareth, which in Arna Slot's case is it's worrying that everything presented him as our first choice. And we have to trust that that's not the case. And this goes back to me wishing that the club at least would drive the media strategy to at least give me some false comfort that that's not the case. I mean, I, I would say that if we look at the names that are being linked, I I think it suggests that like heavily linked. I'm not talking about the ones that you see on the bookies list because that's who the punters know know the name of, and that's why they're putting money on them. I really don't think that Brendan Rodgers is anywhere in contention. It's just that he's out of work. People know his name, so they're putting money. They're betting on him. But if you look at the names that are being seriously linked, I think there's quite a lot of similarities in how they play. Um, I think um, 
broadly speaking, they would fit into the type of structure that we're led to believe we want to put in place. And that suggests to me that we're getting outside support, uh, you know, support on this, you know, possibly um, kind of data analysts and stuff like that, as well as, um, you know, kind of advisors and things like that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a bit more relaxed about this, because it's not as if we're going from, you know, we're not in the position where we were going from Fonseca to Catuso to, you know, to Nuno, when previously we were talking about Potter, Poch, and, you know. So last time around, there was a wild swing. It doesn't appear that we're in that kind of position at the moment. And that gives me a little bit more confidence that um, that we're doing things the right way. Again, one final question. No names. How many syllables do you think the next Tottenham Hotspur manager is going to have? First name, first name or second name or both? Second. Second name only. Four. Two. I think it's it, it's between four and three. And folks, if you want to know what all this mumbo jumbo is about, we'll be getting into it in the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. Dane Scarlett and Alfie Devine have starred for England in their group games at the Under-20 World Cup in Argentina. Uh, Dane scored the only goal in England's opening game against Tunisia. And Alfie Devine was on the score sheet as England beat Uruguay 3-2 to advance to the knockout rounds. On Sunday night, England played their final group game against Iraq, which ended in a 0-0 draw. Alfie Devine started the game and Dane Scarlett came on um, 81 minutes. Um, I think you've been watching these games, haven't you, Milo? Which I, I, I confess I've not been. Uh, so you're in a pretty good place to talk about them, I believe. Yeah, I watched the first, I watched England's first game. I missed the second one, and I, I missed the one tonight as well. So I'm just trying to see who we've drawn against. Okay, so we've got Italy um, in the in the first, in the round of 16 on Wednesday, Wednesday evening. Um, yeah, I have I have been watching. I watched the first one. I missed. I yes, yeah, so I missed the, the two after that. I thought the first game, Divine was head and shoulders above everyone else on the pitch. Um, and yeah, I understand he was very good against Uruguay as well, but I, I didn't see that game. I hear that him and Alex Scott are pretty tight. Is this right? What, in, playing together? Playing yeah, together no, and as friends, on and off the pitch. I hear I that they so, yeah. are. Yeah, I believe yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they complement each other well. That's just a hint for any future <laughs> recruitment well, that's I mean, going to be now, happening down the line, right? Now we haven't got European football. That's exactly the kind of signing we should be making. So. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I haven't got much to add to the under-20s, just that it's really good to see some of our boys going out there and representing England and playing in these tournaments, which are going to provide them with really invaluable experiences later on in their career, and I hope they can go much further. Have you seen enough, Milo, in these performances from, uh, I think Scarlett will end up going back out on loan, but have you seen enough from Divine to think that under the right system of, uh, of of operation at the club he could force his way into the into the first team um I, th- I mean i think it depends on the formation we played if we stuck with a two-man midfield i don't think he could play in a two-man midfield in the premier league at the moment um so i think you know you'd want to play him you know either at number 10 or at, as right wing forward uh probably i think for his development it's best that he gets a season long though next season okay. probably probably in the championship and uh and yeah gets that under his belt and uh and brings himself into contention for the season after. You know, a bit like Skip had at Norwich. You know, a loan like that would be ideal for him right now because he's definitely ready for first-team football, but maybe just yeah. not quite with us yet. Okay. I, and I think, sorry, I think the minutes are important as well. You know, he could he could probably be a member of our first-team squad, but he's going to get a few minutes here and there. I think he needs to be you know, starting games and playing week in, week out in order to really push yeah. on his development. And he's missed, he's missed that because we've been trying to keep him so he's a club-trained player. Uh, do you want to read uh, this next uh, this next and final item? Uh, the Athletic are reporting that we are looking to sign 23-year-old Israeli winger Manos Solomon, who is currently on loan at Fulham from Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, Solomon had a difficult first season at Fulham, getting injured behind a cl- in a closed-door t- 
uh, behind closed doors friendly the day after the season opened. He returned after the World Cup, scoring five uh, in five consecutive games. He's mainly been used as cover for William, with most of his appearances coming from the bench, but he has made 23 Premier League appearances since coming back from injury. Uh, the Athletic reports that there's considerable interest in him from across Europe. Uh, have either of you seen him? Do you have any thoughts on him, or do you want me to read out what I've prepared on him? <laughs> well, just floating back to my own uh, general comment on overall, um, you know, other club ignorance and uh, th- this season. Uh, I, I will, I will sadly have to put my hand in the air and say I haven't really paid much attention to him. Uh, so I, I'm out. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in similar boat. I know he's got a few goals earlier on in the season. I had had a good spell earlier in the year. Um, so I can't really add anything to it. It's in But I know you can, Milo. Away you go. He's a right-footed left winger, um, and certainly the way he's taken his goals. That you know, two, two of those. I think the first two of those five goals were pretty much carbon copies of each other, and it was him cutting in from the left wing, square to the box, then getting a shot away. Very, very re- reminiscent of what we see Sonny doing. Um, so. Yeah, potentially there as as cover for some. It's a area where we've been a bit overstocked in the past, and makes you wonder where Richarlison's going to be playing if he if he did come in. He's so his contract with Shakhtar is up at the end of this calendar year, thirty first of December. Fulham's loan was because Ukrainian based players were allowed to kind of circumvent their contracts by FIFA ruling uh, and go out on loan because of the war in Ukraine. Um, FIFA have extended that ruling to next season. So potentially we could take him on loan. He's a free agent in uh, in January and we could pick him up then. In terms of fee, I think Fulham had agreed a 6.4 million fee for him last summer before that loan ruling came in and, and, uh, and, and then they took him on loan instead. So I don't know. I mean, he's going to be cheap. He's got an eye for goal. He's young. He might improve, but it could also be you know, speculation, you know, a speculation signing and you sign him for six, you know, six million or whatever. And you could you know, flip him in a year's time and turn a profit on him, you know, and he provides a bit of cover in the meantime. I don't know. I mean, for me, this sort of rumor, this sort of potential signing, this sort of situation is exactly the type we need to decide uh, what kind of club we are going forward you know because as you said yeah he's 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 you know he's got some interest he's cheap he's a you know he's a speculative punt he might turn out to be a good player and i say this without having seen him but i'm going from what you're saying and if that's the case uh, number one who's making this signing right now would be my, my biggest question like who is in charge of that signing i'm not saying he's a speculative punt i'm saying it could be that um you know i think he, he looks okay but he's not starting for fulham and you know, I, th- I think he, you know he looks he looks okay. He's twenty three. He could improve in terms of who's who's doing it. I mean, we know Andy Scolding is still there. We know Greta Steinson is still there. We know that they've been compiling a list of players for the summer. We, you know, the the window doesn't open for another month yet. You'd expect a director of football to come in, but you might be able to start negotiations and look at him before then. I think the relevance for us discussing this is that over the coming days, weeks, hopefully not months, there will be lots of players that we'll be linked with. And yeah. the big question will be is what is going on behind this until a director yes. of football or a coach is in place. Now, I, I guess the recruitment team, they are there to look at the videos. They're there to look at the right. players. They look at the data and they say, Do you know, what? we've got this guy Solomon here that we've identified 
why we think he's really, really good. That's the point where you need the director of football to come in and say, yeah, I think he's really good. He's got yeah. these attributes, but actually he's not quite right for the sort of profile of player that we're wanting. And or right. the coach says, yes, I really like him. He plays in the position that I want to have and therefore want to have two players in that position. So I think the fact that our recruitment team are going out and they're running the numbers over um, a lot of players is, is a good thing. Um, and of course, there are going to be elements of the, the media that are going to pick up on this because agents will be part of those conversations as as well but I think perhaps what we're all agreeing on is that um, identifying a player as having good qualities and attributes doesn't necessarily mean that we need to be bringing him in at this exact point and I think Milo's making the point here that it's irrelevant anyway because the transfer window doesn't open formally till about the 14th of, of June and potentially because of the particular nuance of this player and the club that he's registered with at the moment it may be January until that deal could be done Excellently articulated and you can cut out everything I've said because you've managed to articulate it very well That's that I, for me you've expressed it really well <laughs> i suppose that brings us, <laughs> brings us to the end of the pod <laughs> very good well there we are we'll be back <laughs> thanks very much chat Cheers, Steph. <laughs> we'll be back next week with a review of the season and our annual the game is about glory awards <laughs> stick around for that one it's going to be interesting because uh, <laughs> picking nominees is going to be so hard that this year we are considering including fraser forster in the best young player category you you could laugh at your own joke. That's okay. It's very good. <laughs> um, anyway, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.